the way to go. Uh, I've, I, most of you all know that I was a worship pastor before this, and uh, so we had we had a big Easter play every year, and uh, so once we got closer to Easter, we would for rehearsals and everything, we would have to tear everything off the stage every week and then set it back up. And uh, I was one of those difficult worship leaders that made my setup very complicated, so it took a lot of time. And inevitably, you could set it up the same exact way that you had it when you took it off the stage and you got to Sunday morning and there were going to be problems. didn't matter what you did. Uh, so that's just part of church life, right? Um, but what was I saying about uh, the installation service? So the first thing I, I want you all to, to understand that day is not, not about me. It's about us as a congregation. Uh, so we are uh, thanking God for all that he has done and, and leading, leading all of us and, and believing that he's going to lead us forward in his work. And that's what those moments are about coming together to just Come together and worship, anticipating what God wants to do in us and through us as we move forward in ministry together. So I just wanted to make sure that you knew what that was uh, that was about. Um, also, it's a blessing to be able to celebrate today those who have gone before us and, and created the opportunity for freedom for us to worship together in this place, right? Uh, it's because of the sacrifice of so many people that we were able to assemble in this place with freedom to be able to uh, worship our God together. So... Uh, we thank God for that. Acts chapter 7, we're going to start in verse 30 today, but I want to talk to you a little bit today about uh, uh, spiritual freedom, and we're going to look at uh, the Israelites as they were led out of Egypt and all that they had experienced, as we've been talking about the last few weeks, the, the experience of Moses leading the Israelites and trying to understand what God is telling us through that we're going to do the same today and just a different a little bit of a different angle here talking about freedom or captivity uh so acts chapter 7 starting in verse 30 it says after 40 years had passed an angel appeared to moses in flames of a burning bush in the desert near mount sinai when he saw this he was amazed at the sight as he went over to get a closer look he heard the Lord say, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning, and I have come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. This is the same Moses they had rejected with the words, Who made you ruler and judge? He was sent to be the ruler and deliverer by God himself through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He led them out of Egypt and performed wonders and signs in Egypt at the Red Sea for 40 years in the wilderness. This is the Moses who told the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your own people. He was in the assembly in the wilderness and the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors, and he received living words to pass on to us. But our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him, and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. And they told Aaron, Make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. This was the time, that was the time that they made an idol in the form of a calf. They brought sacrifices to it and reveled in what their own hands had made. So I love this this account of Stephen as he is before the religious leaders of the time and they're trying to get some sort of an account from him of why he is 
preaching and doing the things he's doing, and he stands before them and goes through all of this history of Israel and how it's all pointing to Christ. And in that moment, that's what he's talking about here, is Moses leading the people out of Egypt. And uh, One of the things I want us to understand first as we get started here is that uh, the things in the Old Testament were pictures that pointed us to spiritual things in the New Testament. God was telling the story of Christ from the beginning. We see it as early as... Adam was, Adam was in the garden, right? And he was looking for a helpmate, and God paraded all the animals in front of him, and he, he named them all, and it says, the Bible says that he couldn't find a helper that was suitable for him. So what did God do? He put him into a deep sleep, and he took the rib out of his side and, and formed his bride. Correct? So if you see then, that, that was a picture of Christ and his bride, the church. If we look to the New Testament, we see that Christ hung on the cross, and he was pierced where? In his side. Right? That was not a mistake. God knew exactly what he was doing in that moment. He knew he was showing the picture in Adam of what was coming in Christ. So Christ hung on the cross. He was pierced in his side, and he was buried, and he rose again. But out of his side, out of the suffering that he endured, uh, his bride was born. The church was born in that moment. right? So that was the picture. And all through the Old Testament, we see that, that God was creating these pictures of the spiritual things to come. If you read the book of Hebrews, you will see that uh, it talks over and over about uh, the copies of heavenly things being in uh, the tabernacle or the tent of meeting or, or the temple. So it's telling us that all the things that we see in the temple and temple worship were pointing us to the heavenly things. They were showing us a picture of the spiritual things to come. So when you read the Old Testament, uh, it is not out of context for us to think in terms of uh, what we're reading here about Israel being led out of uh, captivity, Israel today would be synonymous with the church. The people who are saved in Christ are the Israel of God. We are spiritually God's Israel. That is what we're talking about. So when you read that today, I can see that Israel was in captivity, captivity and then they were led out of captivity. Uh, that can apply just as much to the church as it did to Israel at that time, God's uh, physical people. And we'll look into that more as we go here. But the point I'm trying to get at is uh, when you read the Old Testament, it's not just a collection of old things that don't mean anything anymore. It is a detailed description showing you the spiritual things to come uh, that were fulfilled in Christ. So as you read the Old Testament, you can see the meaning for his people today. Uh, Russell Byram wrote this in his book on uh, Bible typology. And that's what that means. If you ever hear somebody talk about a type, they would say Adam was a type of Christ. That meant that he was a type. He was some aspect of Adam was typical of Christ to come. So if you ever hear somebody say that, calling something a type, that's what they're talking about. But Russell Byron wrote this in his book about typology. He wrote, Matthew wrote the gospel by relating the life story of Jesus. But Moses wrote it at a greater length, more systematically and in greater detail in types and shadows. Moses' writings are as much about Jesus and his salvation as are those of the four New Testament evangelists. So he's saying that Moses' writing about Jesus was more systematic and detailed sometimes than even the Gospels in the New Testament who were relating the, the absolute life of Christ. So uh, in all of this, I'm saying that there is value in reading the things that are contained in the Old Covenant. Amen. 
the things that are contained in the Old Testament. We can never get to the place where we just say, there are people here that, that exist today in the church that say, I only take the words of Jesus. That's it. I'm not telling you not to take the words of Jesus. I'm just saying that everything that Jesus says was pictured in the Old Testament and has value for us today. It's all, every word that is contained in the Word of God, from the beginning to the end, every word that is contained in the Word of God has value for our spiritual walk and is something that we should aspire to know. Uh, so that's what we're going to look at today is the spiritual understanding of Israel in captivity and then the freedom that uh, came as Moses led them out and then Israel's reaction to that. Uh, so Acts 7, uh, the beginning of thir- verse 34, it says, I have, seen, I have seen, indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning. So God is... God was saying at that time that I'm looking on, I see my people who are captive in this land. They are uh, being oppressed uh, by the Egyptian people, and they couldn't leave. They were in slavery. Uh, Exodus 1, verses 12 through 14 says this, So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. So this is what God is seeing. He's seeing his people who were supposed to be a a free people. We see that in the beginning. God's intention was always for his people to be free and have communion, intimate communion with him. We see that in the garden. What happened? Adam and Eve walked with God, right? They had intimate communion with God where he walked among them. And then we see their rebellion, and that was... uh, they lost that opportunity for communion with God, but we see that over and over through the Word of God where people had communion with Him and then they would rebel. But in this moment, Israel was in a place of captivity. And as we look on that today, uh, we can see the same thing in our spiritual lives, that every one of us at some point, Either people are in captivity now or we had been in captivity at some point. And spiritually speaking, we were in the place of Egypt. That's what we're talking about here. We were all in the place at some point, some people are now, in the place of Egypt where they were oppressed by the enemy, where we were subject to sin and death, where we were subject to the ruthlessness of our master at that time, Satan. We were ruled by him, and you see it today even in, in, I mean, there's no greater picture than, uh, the celebrity culture, right? Where they have everything that they could imagine. They have everything they could ever need, but it's never good enough, right? And you even see that even, even down to the point where, how long does a marriage last among celebrities? A year, maybe? For the most part, I'm saying in general, maybe there are some that last a long time, but the point is, uh, and, and even many that uh, there's been some that have attempted suicide. There's been uh, people who have successfully committed suicide. The point is that you see it. The things that people are searching for, sinful things, or uh, uh, never they never fill the gap of, of what people are looking for. They are never fulfilling. Right? I mean, you consider sin. Sin might bring somebody some momentary happiness. It may make you feel good in the moment, right? There's some things that might make us feel good. But you can be sure, though that might last for a moment, the Bible says that sin wages war against the soul. 
That is not something that is just innocent, but sin wages war. Whatever you act, you might commit yourself to is waging war against your soul, oppressing you, holding you captive. And the greatest thing that sin has going for us, for it, is that it blinds people. It does, it keeps people from seeing that they are captive, right? We live in a day where, where people become comfortable in the place of captivity, and they don't want to leave it. You see that in, in people, a lot of places, there are a lot of people that are living in misery, but they don't have, they are comfortable in the misery to where they won't do anything to get out of the misery. You know that people can come to that place where you're comfortable in your misery. And we'll see Israel when they, they reveal that for us here in, in, in a few minutes. But the, the point is that uh, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor. And you understand that that is the exact way that sin works in our life when we are captive to sin, that we may experience momentary happiness committing ourselves to some sort of sinful act, but that leads us a place to a place of needing more. Or you have to do more, or you have to go to greater places in order to experience fulfillment, because it is enslaving you to a feeling. It is enslaving you to something that cannot possibly ever fill the gap because that we were created for freedom. We were created to walk with our Creator. We were created to have intimate communion with God. There are things that at face value superficially take that place. But it can never last. It holds us captive. It keeps us trying to pursue more and more. So sin enslaves us and is a bitter, ruthless slave master. There's total hopelessness without a Savior, one to lead us out of captivity. That's one of the things about our cap, our, 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 the place of, of being a captive is there is nothing that I can do to get out of that place of slavery. It takes a Savior leading me to the place of freedom. Because I'm blinded. To the, I, I can't see. I can't see the way out. All we can see is the the... the uh, the need that we have within us, and we, we jump around trying to fulfill that with so many things. It takes a Savior giving me vision to see the place of freedom, and then Him leading me to that place, because He is the door to that. He is the door to our freedom. So it takes a, save, a Savior to lead us to the place of freedom, but we are 100% totally hopeless in captivity without our Savior. So we today, and people today, uh, who are not walking in the freedom of Christ, are walking, we could say, as spiritual Egypt. They're in the place of bondage and, and slavery in that place. So then we, we see that uh, uh, in the end of verse 34, chapter 7, uh, God said this, I have heard the groaning and have come down to set them free. So God had seen His people who were oppressed. God had seen people who were ruthlessly oppressed by the Egyptian people and in a place where they could never possibly uh, uh, step out of that. And they were, they were uh, bound to that place in a way that they never could have gotten out. But that's the amazing thing about this picture that God was showing us in the Old Testament of what was to come. He said, I've heard their groaning and I've come to set them, th- um, set them free. So who, how did he set them free? He said to Moses, I want you to go and set these people free, right? So Moses uh, 
he he has reservations about it because he doesn't think it'll be good enough. He doesn't think he'll be able to do that. All those things, but the, our God led him to the place of, of uh, uh, strength and power and boldness, and led him into Egypt and and to, to be able to bring his people out and set them free. So that is the picture that we were in spiritual Egypt. And Moses, again, would be a type of Christ. He would be typical, a shadow of Christ to come. He would go into captivity and make a way for his people to be brought out of captivity. That is the same thing that we experience spiritually today. Uh, Romans 8, 1-4 says this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And Galatians 5, 1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So human freedom is found in communion with God. It is what we were created for. uh, And God has provided the way for us to uh, have communion with him again. Um, But you see, the amazing thing is, in understanding the weight of sin, I don't want us to miss that today. As I said, the Word of God says that sin wages war against the soul. And how much greater the depth of captivity when it is our hearts that are caught up in sin. I, I would rather be enslaved physically to a person and have to work for them to be a slave to sin. It is better to be a slave physically, captive physically, to be carried off to some country and have to be enslaved uh, in that way and perform harsh labor for somebody rather than being enslaved to sin, enslaved to something. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. So we are enslaved to death. We understand the weight of sin. We have to. We can never underestimate that. I think one of the huge problems today is we have so devalued the the act of Christ on the cross and what He has done in setting us free. We we have no value for that because we don't understand the weight of sin. We don't really think sin is that bad. If we understood the devastation that sin causes, we would be so grateful for the freedom that Christ gave us. And the freedom that He leads us to in Him. We can never, as the church, uh, devalue the, 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 the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. We can never underestimate the weight of sin and the devastation of sin. Uh, so, Israel was captive in Egypt, the same as we are today. Some people are today. We were today. And Christ has set them free. But what I really want to focus on today is the place where uh, we see Israel's reaction to all that Christ has done or, or Moses had done and God had done in them leading them to freedom, but would be our reaction to Christ setting us free today. Uh, the Bible says... Uh, in chapter 7, verse 39, it says, But our ancestors refused to obey him, meaning Moses and, and God. Uh, instead, they rejected him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. Uh, our ancestors reject, refused to obey him and, and they rejected him in, and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. So you could imagine, uh, it's one of those things where it's hard to imagine these people who had seen God move in so many ways. That they were captive and they had seen the plagues that God sent on Egypt. They had 
been led out of Egypt and, and they see the, the Egyptian army coming down on them as they're standing uh, at the sea and they see God part the sea and they walk through that and they're going through all these things that God had done. And somehow we get to the chapter, chapter 32 of uh, Exodus and we see, and we talked about it briefly a couple of weeks ago, but Moses was up on the mountain getting the law from God. God was giving him the Ten Commandments. He was up there for, I believe, 40 days and 40 nights and the people got restless. And they were not willing to wait. In, in their having to wait on Moses, they didn't know what was going to happen. They started then uh, trying to devise their own plans of how are we going to deal with this because we don't know if this guy is ever going to come back. So in spite of all that they had seen God done, they couldn't trust Him for 40 days. They couldn't wait for that period of time. Now, if God had carried them through all those things, why on earth would we think that He couldn't handle 40 days? Right? We understand that's what the human heart is prone to. We can look on that and say that's crazy that they would do that, but our hearts are prone to the same thing. They had turned their hearts back to the place of slavery. They had turned their hearts back to the place where they were captive, where they were treated ruthlessly by the, the people that held them captive. 1 Corinthians 10, starting in verse 11, it says, He's talking of Israel and their rebellion after leaving Egypt. It says, These things happened to them as examples and were written down as a warning for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. They were written for an example. All the things that happened to us, they, they were written down as an example for us. Why? Because our hearts are prone to the same thing. Because our hearts are prone to wandering. Our hearts are prone to, to getting restless and not knowing what God is doing and not being able to wait. Our hearts are prone to those things. You see, it takes Christ walking with us. It takes the Spirit of God showing us step by step what, is, what the next step is and giving us assurance of Christ and His leading. It takes that for us to be able to keep our eyes fixed on Him. But that only comes as we are having communion with God. Meaning, again, we don't just say to read your Bible just because it's a good Christian thing to do. We say that because that's how we know God. That He's revealed His mind to us. He has shown us uh, wh- how He interacts with the world. He has shown us all of His promises. Everything that He has available to us, He has laid out in His Word. And as we immerse ourselves in that, then we trust God more because I see that His Word says this. And you understand that the Spirit of God then makes His Word living in us. It illuminates the Word of God. We read these promises, and the Spirit then illuminates that in, within our hearts and shows us how that applies to us. And to what situations that applies, so that I can walk with Him with confidence. We don't tell you just to pray because it's a good thing to do. We don't tell you to pray just because that's what you do as a Christian. It's because that creates Communion with our God. You know, there's so many times where we question what God is doing and where He's going and why He's letting me go through this and and how do I get out of this and all these things. All the while, we totally disregard. We leave our Bible sitting on the shelf collecting dust. We might pray for 30 seconds in the morning before we, we go to work or something like that. 
And I wonder how many times in the midst of those kind of situations we're wondering, why is God not showing me how to get out of this? And all the while we're walking this path towards destruction, and there's this road to turn off to freedom. And we miss it because we are not, we're not allowing Him to lead us. We're not, have, we're not looking through our spiritual eyes. We're looking with our own human vision. All we see is this road ahead. All we see is this suffering and pain. And we miss the road that God has. He's saying, I want you to turn here. But we're deaf to it because I'm not hearing Him. I'm not understanding who He is through His Word. I'm not spending time hearing His voice in prayer. You understand, if you look back to the Old Testament, you see that Elijah was on Mount Carmel and with the prophets of Baal. And, and uh, we, we, we won't go through all that, but the, the fire came down from heaven and, and consumed Elijah's sacrifices and showed who the true God was. And immediately after this, Elijah goes to the place of uh, up on the mountain. It's actually a place of spiritual depression after he had seen this miracle. And one note on that is, you understand that today that uh, there is no evidence whatsoever that that miracle in that moment ever had any sort of uh, religious reformation. There's no evidence for that whatsoever. So what I'm saying to you is a lot of places today people are looking for miracles. And miracles, most of the time, biblically, have proven to not really have any sort of reformational power uh, in people's hearts. But um, So he's on the mountain and God, uh, God moves in him. And God came to him, not in the wind or the earthquake, but he came to him, the Bible says, in a still small voice. So God is waiting to speak to us today. A lot of times I think we're just waiting, we're praying that God would just drop out of heaven and, and make this path clear and show you this is exactly what I want you to do. This is how I want you to do it. This is how you're going to get there. This is what it's going to look like. That's not how God wor- works. right? For those that have been around the church forever, walking faithfully with God, they will tell you that it's one step at a time. God will show you. He will whisper to you, here's where you're going to go. You take this step. And once you get there, I will show you the next step. And once you get there, I'll show you the next step. So my point is so many times that we're, we're looking ahead, we're seeing pain and suffering and under, not understanding why God is doing what He is, but we're not in the place of rest with Him where we can actually hear His voice when He has a road for us to turn on to get out of whatever it is. And we miss it because we're not hearing Him. Or He's just saying, just keep going. Just keep going. I will be the one who gives you strength. I will be the one who helps you endure. But we get discouraged because we're not hearing His voice. So we have to be in the place of actually pursuing God and trying to understand Him and what He's revealing about Himself. But we have been given an example. It says you've been given an example. Uh, these things happened as examples and were written down as a warning for us. So the things that were happening in Israel were given to us as a warning that your heart might be prone to straying. So you better keep yourself focused. But our ancestors rejected him and instead they they turned in their hearts back to Egypt. So we see over and over, through if you read the Word of God, we see over and over the tendency of Israel to turn to Egypt for comfort and protection. We see even 
In the beginning, that Abraham went down to Egypt during a time of famine. In uh, Genesis chapter 12, his grandson Jacob did the very same thing. In Genesis chapter 42, when Hagar wanted a bride for Ishmael, she took him took him a bride from uh, Egypt. In Genesis chapter 21, we see when Abraham and Lot uh, their their flocks and everything had grown to a place where it was causing friction between them. They decided they were they were going to split and go different ways and. Uh, Genesis chapter 13, verse 10, it says, or Abraham was, uh, Abraham said that Lot could choose whatever land he wanted and he would go that way and Abraham would go the other way. And uh, Genesis chapter 13, verse 10, it says, Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zor was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. So Lot chose the land that looked like Egypt. Numbers 14, we're, we're talking about where uh, God was leading the people of Israel to the, to the promised land and they sent out spies to go forward and look into the land and see what it was, what it was like. And they came back and reported that uh, there, there was some strength in the land. It was some things that we're going to have to overcome to, to step into the land. And uh, rather than trusting God in Numbers 14, Uh, Verse 1, it says this, That night all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. That is amazing, isn't it? that they would see God do all of these things and come to the place where God is leading and and they would say, wouldn't it be better for us to go back to captivity? Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to the place where we were treated ruthlessly and our lives were miserable? Wouldn't it be better for us to go back there? And again, we might think that's crazy, but you know that there are many people in the church that do the same exact thing today. Just because we have set free, been set free by Christ doesn't mean that I can't turn my heart back to that place of captivity. You will have people tell you today that once you are saved in Christ that you can never lose your salvation. You'll have people tell you that. I have sat through funerals where people have said that somebody was in heaven. You know, when they were, when they were this age, they accepted Christ at Bible school. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I don't know. Maybe they are in heaven. But I am telling you that somebody who accepted Christ when they were six or eight years old never once saw any fruit of that the rest of their lives. That is a very, at best, that is a very, very dangerous place to be. Now the point in that is, and the Bible talks over and over, it says, I believe it's in First or Second Peter, but it says, be careful that you do not fall from your secure position. The point of that is that I am, I am secure in Christ. Make sure you hear what I'm saying here. I am eternally secure in Christ, but that's not unconditional. My salvation is still conditional. It's secure. 
But it's conditional. It's based on me keeping, keeping my eyes fixed on Christ. It's based on me walking with Him. It's based on me not turning my back on Him. I can still choose to separate myself from this, my secure position. Listen, I, I don't... My salvation is, is secure from powers of hell. It is secure from people of this world. It is secure from whatever comes against me. There is nothing that can take me out of the hands of Christ except myself turning my back on Him. I'm telling you today that it is very, very dangerous. And if that is something that you believe, I would love to talk to you about it. If that is something that you believe, I would tell you to search the Scriptures to find out what the Bible means when it says, be careful that you will not fall from your secure position. And there are multiple other verses. I'm not taking that from one Scripture. There are multiple other verses. You see that even in the picture of Israel. You see that they were captive. They were set free. And they turned their hearts back. And what happened in Exodus chapter 32? At the end of that, Moses said, who is with God? And they came over to Moses' side and they slaughtered all of the ones who chose to continue in their rebellion. Those people were set free. But today, we are in danger. If we don't keep our eyes fixed on God, we are in danger of the same things that Egypt pursued. In Egypt, there were slaves, but they desired, or when they, when they were brought out, just, I want to walk through just very, very briefly some of the things that they desired that were from Egypt. They desired first the safety of Egypt. In Egypt, there were slaves, but they, as long as they did what they were supposed to do, they were safe and uh, knew what to expect. In Exodus chapter 14, as Pharaoh was approaching them at the sea, they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us uh, from the desert to die here? Why have you done, what have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? So the point is, they were content in that moment working for Pharaoh rather than uh, having him against them. So they desired the safety that they experienced in, in Egypt. They also desired the supply of Egypt. In Egypt, they could uh, depend on having plenty of food and water, all the things that they were provided in Exodus chapter 16. It says, In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to him, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into the, into the desert to starve this entire assembly. I'll just go through these briefly. They desired the spirits of Egypt. You see if uh, when in Exodus chapter 32, when they couldn't wait for Moses anymore, they created uh, a golden calf. If you look into all the gods that the, Isra- the Egyptians believed in, that was the exact same kind of thing that happened in Egypt. So they brought out the same spiritual aspects uh, from Egypt that they had been enslaved to. Uh, so they desired the spirits of, of Egypt. They also despised their Savior from Egypt. They complained and spoke disparagingly of God and Moses, though they saw God do amazing things. In the same way that we see the people standing uh, in, in accepting a prisoner, Barabbas, instead of their Savior, right? They were fine with their Savior being uh, crucified and having a prisoner uh, released to them. The point of in I'm trying to get at in all of this today is that we 
desire the same sort of things. We desire comfort. We desire peace. We desire provision. We desire stability. We desire all of those things. And we will search and search for ways to have those needs met. And we are in just as much danger today in the life of the church of turning our hearts back to Egypt as they were. There are times that God is going to call us to places where we're not going to have any idea how we're going to get there. God might call you to leave a job where you're making $200,000 to go be a missionary. That's an extreme example. Maybe that's not any of us, but it's not out of the realm of possibility that God would do something like that. It doesn't have to be that exact situation. God might be taking you from a place where you have security. You have financial security. He might be telling you, look, I don't want you doing this anymore. I want you to go over here. And how many times it's so difficult for us to give up. Because, I, God, how, I have this house. I have a family. How, I have all this money here. Why can't I just do your work while I'm here? It doesn't have to be just financial. It could be anything that you can imagine. Ways that we seek security. Ways that we embrace things that we shouldn't embrace. Because it will be beneficial to, to us somehow in the end. You see, in every moment that we are confronted with a choice like that, we are choosing to make an alliance with Egypt or to trust in God for freedom. Isaiah 30, as the worship team comes up, Isaiah 30 says this, Woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord, to those who carry out plans that are not mine, forming an alliance, but not by my Spirit, heaping sin upon him who get up, sin upon sin, who go down to Egypt without consulting me, who look for help in Pharaoh's protection, to Egypt's shade for refuge. A Pharaoh's protection will be your shame. Egypt's shade will bring you disgrace. This is what the Sovereign Lord says, the Holy One of Israel says, in repentance and rest is your salvation, in quietness and trust is your strength. You would have none of it. saying, woe to those who would seek safety in the world, who would seek provision from the world, who would pursue religion in the same way as the world. They would despise the Savior or make plans that are their own with no consideration of God's desire or seek counsel from the world and not the living God. And that's one of the things too. You know, sometimes we have a way of seeking advice in many different places. I'm not telling you not to talk to friends about things. What I am telling you is, the Bible says that spiritual things are discerned by spiritual people. You know that you're not going to, you are not going to get spiritual advice talking to somebody who doesn't know Christ. They might randomly get it right; it's possible, but that's not the spirit behind it. You are not going to get spiritual counsel from somebody who doesn't know Christ. They can tell you what's logical. They can use reason to determine what the best possible solution is. That doesn't mean that's God's solution. God's answers don't always seem reasonable to us. What I'm telling you 
in all of this today. There is so much available to us in Christ. We have freedom beyond what we can even imagine. We have peace available to us beyond what we can even imagine. We have God providing for us. We have His promises that He will provide. The Bible says don't worry about tomorrow. He knows all of the things that we need. Seek first the kingdom. Everything else you need will be added. But too many times we get that turned around to where we're seeking all of the other things that we need and then we're trying to figure out how I can fit God into that. And in that moment where I choose to seek all of those things first, I'm reducing God from His place of the divine Creator of all things and I am placing Him lower than humanity. Because I am saying that I know how to get what I need. I know how to get where I'm going. I know how to accomplish whatever it is the church needs to accomplish. I know how to do all these things. We know how to accomplish all these things. We don't need God. And in that, we settle for human accomplishments, and some of them can seem great at times. Some of them are great. But there is nothing that will ever compare to God providing for His people. The blessing that comes from seeing God provide for us. The blessing that comes from seeing somebody walk through something that is so difficult and painful, but yet coming out on the other side with their faith intact because their heart was fixed on God and relying on His strength. There's nothing greater than those things. Do not be deceived by the world. Do not be deceived by the things that Satan lays in front of you. He took Christ up uh, and and looked over the, the, the city and said, I will give you all of this if you will bow down and worship me. The question is, when you are confronted with that, I, Satan saying, I will give you all of this, or I will provide for you this, or, or whatever it is, lays all these things out for you that you can have if you will bow yourself before him and turn back to Egypt to captivity. If you do that, then you will have this. What, what is our response? What is your response when you're confronted with a place of choosing money over making godly decisions? What is your decision when you're confronted with choosing to hold grudges against people and enslaving yourself to that rather than the sacrificial love of Christ that leads us to forgiveness? What is your response when you're confronted with that choice? What is your response when we have been given as mothers and fathers a responsibility with children and we're confronted with the opportunity to go with something that's easy and turn the TV on for them all day or the opportunity to teach a child the way he should go? The things of God. What is our choice? What what decisions do we make? 
And there are countless things that you could, examples you could look at to show that we have an opportunity to choose between captivity and freedom. There might be people sitting in this room today that I'm telling you just because somebody has attended a church for 50, 60, 70 years, that doesn't mean that you are not captive. Just because you've attended a church for six months doesn't mean that you are a captive. You might be more free than the person who's been in a church for 60 or 70 years. I'm not saying if you've been to a church 60, 70 years, you may be walking in freedom and doing amazing things walking with God. What I am telling you is that the things that we look at we judge spiritual things too many times with our own physical human eyes. Rather than allowing the Spirit of God to be the one to give us vision and understanding what it means to walk in freedom or walk in captivity. You might be walking as a captive today and you need to do something about that. We are more than willing to come pray with you at an altar. If you don't want to come to the altar, there are leaders in this church, the elders, whoever you want to talk to, talk to somebody. Don't let it go another day. You might just want to come to the altar today and thank God for His freedom. This is the last thing I'll say, I promise. Just talking about coming to the altar. One thing I think we get tripped up on too many times in not coming to an altar is that we think that somebody's going to think, well, the pastor was talking about this, so that person's struggling with that. Understand that you don't have to come to the altar because of anything I even talked about today. It could be just because you are so joyful and thankful for what God has done in your life. And don't ever think that because somebody comes to the altar, that's because they have a problem. They might just be coming with thankfulness. What I'm saying to you today is that we have the opportunity to be free. More free than you understand. This is the last thing I'll say. You understand that we live in a free country to worship God. We live in a free country to do whatever things that most people in this world are not able to do because they don't live in a place like this. But you understand, just as physical human beings, there is a limit to freedom. We live under God's direction. You understand that even the, the most vile of sinner or... Uh, the most dedicated follower of Christ, they still hang on the hand of God. I, I still rest in the hand of God. My life, what is my life? I can walk out here and turn down the road and get smashed by a truck and that's the end. You see it all over the country with shootings and things. You're sitting and doing things in freedom and somebody comes in and takes that freedom from you, right? What I'm saying to you is that everything that we have, even our freedom to exist as human beings, depends on God. The life that He gives us, we can choose to walk in captivity or the freedom of Christ. So today, will you take these moments and truly analyze your life? Will you truly look into your life? Nobody else has to know that you're even doing that. You can act tough. So nobody thinks you're doing it. But spend a few moments.
considering whether you are actually free in Christ or whether you're a captive. Whether you desire the things of God or whether you desire the things of Egypt. God, we thank you today again for the opportunity to worship you. Father, to be together for what it means to be your children. What it means to be free. What it means to be able to be led out of that place of captivity. Father, help us to understand the weight of sin, the devastation of sin, and Father, the grip that it holds on the heart that would turn to sinful things to seek provision or seek stability, to seek help. And Father, help us to understand how freeing it is to let go of all of those things and allow You to be the one that leads us step by step Father, help us to not be a congregation that relies on all of our accomplishments as Christians, the things that we have seen You do, but, Father, to be thankful for what we have seen You do and to be uh, waiting in anticipation for what You will do in the future and help us to be obedient as You would lead us. Father, we love You today. Be glorified in us as we continue to worship. In your name we pray, amen. If you take your hymn-